We want to continue to worship the Lord as we turn to His Word in the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 to 17 this morning. And as you're turning there, I was just reflecting a little bit again on Psalm 38 and what we read at the very beginning of our service, how the psalmist says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, and this is the reason why, for they have heard the words of your mouth. It seems to be David's way of saying that kings pursue those things that are greatest and most, profes- uh, 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 most precious. Uh, they um, have in their courts those things that are the top of the line and the best. And what is it that these kings are giving thanks for? They are giving thanks that they have heard the word of God. And I wonder if we gather together this morning that that might be the same recognition in our own hearts. That what a privilege it is for us to gather together. And to hear the word of God and to try and understand it together. So let's read a portion of scripture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 um, verses 10 to 17 as we consider uh, God's word uh, to us this morning. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, And you are that temple. Father, thank you for your word today as we continue in our uh, consideration of this book that uh, has been written to the church in Corinth. Would you help us to understand it? Would you help us to grasp the importance of what it is you are saying through your servant Paul? Would you help us to take it to heart as we leave here in a few moments and go our own way for the rest of the week and to bring our lives in conformity with it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in this uh, section of uh, 1 Corinthians, which, strangely enough, as Pastor Barry has uh, uh, brought to your attention, I believe, and as I just want to do again, that of all the issues that are facing the church in Corinth, and they are significant issues, regarding sexual immorality, regarding marriage, regarding the gifts of the Spirit, regarding the roles of men and women, regarding just a number of issues like that, the one that Paul starts with and spends the most amount of time on is division in the church. And we're continuing in that kind of vein as this uh, group of verses that we've looked at now continues to address that reality. And Paul is getting at that reality by drawing our attention to focus on the foundation of the church, which is Jesus Christ. 
And if you've been following with us in the book of Corinthians, you have understood that you can't talk about the church and the church of God without talking about God in Christ. In fact, if you remember, in the first three verses of the book of Corinthians, we see the God and Christ mentioned again and again and again. And then as we come to verses 9 to, to what verses, or verses 4 to verse 9, we find there that before Paul even starts to talk about uh, the church from a human point of view, he talks about it from a divine point of view. And he reminds us that the church is God, that the church exists because of God's grace, that it continues to exist because of God's grace, and it will be perfected because of God's grace. And so all that we think about when we think about the church comes to us through Christ because of God's grace to us. And it's after he sort of lays that foundation then that he begins to say, okay, now listen, there's division amongst you. There's quarreling, there's strife, and it ought not to be that way. Because the central part of what we do and the central focus of our worship ought to be Jesus Christ and the cross. And Paul recognizes that to a lot of people that seems really silly. It's a stumbling block to some people because they really think, really? A dead guy is going to save me? A man who I am looking forward to bring me freedom in life and to bring me freedom from my oppressors is actually going to die? And then when we look at other people and they look at it and they think the message of the cross, how foolish that is. You mean I can't save myself? You mean I can't think myself into a better way of life? You mean I can't buy myself spiritual peace and rest and hope? And Paul says again, no. The wisdom of God and the power of God is displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we're continuing to come at this issue of division from so many different angles. And now Paul brings us back to this issue again in these verses that we read today, which in the first time we might say, well, what do they have to do with division? Well, they have a lot to do with division because they focus again our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ. You might have noticed that Paul has shifted from an agricultural metaphor to a building metaphor. In verse 9, he, begins by, uh, he ends by saying this, that for we are God's fellow workers. And he says, you are God's field. And now he says, God's building. Just another way of us to think about the church. As we looked last week at God's field, we recognize that many people plant, many people water, but it's God that causes the growth. It's all about God working in us. He says, what is Apollos? What is Peter? We're nothing, but it's God who does the work. And now he shifts the metaphor to us reflecting on God's building. He goes from agriculture to architecture. And as he does so, he, he moves our thinking again to think about the fact that the church is not a human invention. The church is God's and it is God's building. Verse 10 is, I think, a very helpful verse in this because it gives us the big picture. Paul kind of tells us where he is going in the next number of sentences as he unpacks these big as he will unpack these big ideas for us. And again with Paul there's no boasting in his role and his part in building the church in Corinth. He begins simply by saying there he says in verse 10 according to the grace of God given me. Paul recognizes that he was called by God and that he was gifted by God to do his part in laying the foundation for the church. It's an amazing recognition that ought to be true of each one of us. 
that no matter what we do in the church, we are here because God has called us and because God has gifted us. Whether we serve in the kitchen, whether we serve in the community, whether we serve upstairs in Kids Mill or with youth or whether we lead a growth group or whether we care for one another and visit, we do that because God has gifted us and God has given us His grace in order to do that. And so we're no different than Paul. And as we think about our involvement in the church, we ought to say, thank you, God, for calling me and for gifting me and for giving me an opportunity to work out my calling and my gifting in this particular church. Paul's role in building the church in Corinth was unique, as is your role and my role in Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. Paul describes himself as a skilled master builder or as a wise architect. And that's a helpful rendering of the word because he's using the word wise in the context of the fact the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. And he's telling us that he didn't build the church on human philosophy. He built the church on God's revelation, which is Jesus Christ and the cross. And as he was sent into Corinth, that that's how he set about to make sure that this church would be established, that its foundation would be on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That was God's plan for the church, that Christ would be the cornerstone of the church. And it should be the same of this church here, that if we ever move off of that foundation, if we ever move away from Christ and from His cross, you ought to rant and rave, you ought to raise your hands, you ought to write letters, you ought to visit the elders, you ought to come and take me out for coffee and say, what's going on here? We're losing our foundation. And so together with people like Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla and others, they laid the foundation for the church in Corinth. But notice that he says the reality is, is that's my job, but somebody else is going to now come and build on it. He, he says that in verse 10, and someone else is building upon it. And then notice what he says next. He says, let each one take care. And then a little bit farther, he said, if anyone builds on it. So his recognition is that we all have a part to play in the building of God's church. Every single one of you who is a follower of Jesus Christ has a role to fulfill in the building up of this particular local assembly of the body of Christ. And it's an important role that we each have. Paul's uh, initial role was the foundation, but ours now is to build upon that foundation. We recognize the metaphors. The body has many parts. And I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. The hand can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. We need one another here in this particular body. Paul will talk later, and we'll come to this, that each one of us have been given a gift by the Spirit of God for the common good of the people of God. And so every one of us here who is a follower of Jesus Christ has a part to play in the body, has a gift been given to us by the Holy Spirit for the common good or the building up of the church here in Parksville. And the reality is, is that we will build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Someone else, each one, uh, we all have a part. We have many gifts that we will add here. Over the years, I've had a lot of conversations with pastors and Christians, and I've read books which talk about a real danger, and that's the professionalization of the ministry. And there's a constant pressure, it seems, in churches to move towards consumerism. And people often look at a church and the needs within the church and they say, well, listen, listen, our church is growing and we do, we've got a staff and that's what the staff's job is. That's what we pay people to do. That's why we hire pastors. That's why we hire custodians. That's why we hire secretaries. That's why we hire these, because they do the work and we just come and they serve us. 
And that's just such a wrong way to look at the church. There are certain things that happen as a church grows, and it needs to have staff that are there um, during the week to do the roles that need to be taken place. But if ever we come to the point, even at this church, where we sit back and say, you know what, somebody gets paid to do that, then I hope you will fire the lot of us, and we'll start from scratch again, and we'll figure out how each of us contribute to the building up of the body. Just because we have paid staff in any setting does not resolve us of our responsibility to build the church of God, even here at Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. The last point that Paul introduces in verse 10, as he continues to introduce us to what he's about to say, he says, let each one of you take care how he builds. He's getting us ready for what he's going to say, that that you don't just build willy-nilly. That you don't just slap something on here and put something up there and give it your sort of second best or your third best. He says, let each one take care how he builds the building of Christ. So that's the big picture. There's a master builder. There's a foundation. There's many trades involved, many gifts involved, and we ought to build carefully. So as he moves on then, he talks in verse 13 about the fact that he's laid this foundation. And in laying the foundation... There's, very, there's two very clear realities that Paul wants us to understand. And he's very clear about this. The foundation has already been laid once and for all. This is a real important thing for us to remember, even as we're 2,000 years separated from the fact that the foundation has been laid. Don't be enamored by something new or novel that comes along. People have been led astray over the years by various people who come in and say, well, you know, I've got a different foundation. I've got a different emphasis. And you can look at Christian science. You can look at the Mormons. And they have the Bible. But the Bible quickly becomes secondary. And their foundation is built on somebody's revelations or somebody's prophecies or somebody's writing. And so even today, there's the tendency to move away from the foundation of Christ. I must admit that I have something of a misgiving about the church planting movement that has come up in the last 20 or 30 years. And it's, it's just some misgivings or some, some hesitations that I have towards it. There is a lot of good that has come out of church planting. And some great churches have strung up as a result of it in places where the gospel had never been heard before. But it seems to me that many of the church plants emphasize different things. They emphasize we're going to have contemporary music. Or we're going to have casual dress. Or we're not really going to emphasize sin here. We're going to talk about happy things in this particular setting. Or we're going to have informal services. Or we're going to have sort of a contemporary emphasis. Or we're going to have a seeker-sensitive focus. And it seems like their foundation is moved away from Jesus Christ and His cross. And it doesn't mean you can't have those things, but there's a very real danger that those things quickly push Christ away from the foundation. And Paul says, the foundation is Christ and Christ alone. I know in this church, I've been here a little over 10 years now, and people have come and gone. And some here, you may move in the next few months. I know some of you are moving. We mentioned some last week. I know Ken and his wife are also moving in a couple weeks. But my hope and my prayer is that as you move and you go to different communities, that you don't just look for a happy church, but that you look for a church where Jesus Christ is the foundation, where the cross of Christ is the foundation of all that they do. There is no new foundation. 
And that's really, we're already bleeding into the second reality. The foundation has already been laid, and that's Jesus Christ. We're saved by no other name. There is no other basis for an eternal church than the church of Jesus Christ. The foundation of the church is the person, the work, the words, the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the grand theme of the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Even when we talk about creation, do you know that when you talk about creation, you talk about Jesus Christ? You can't talk about the creation of the world without talking about Christ because it says, uh, the Bible says this, that, that uh, Jesus Christ created the world. So how can we even talk about creation without talking about Christ? Everything that we do comes back to Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying there's no new foundation for the people of God. The only foundation that we have has already been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. Then he gets on to a little bit more serious business, though, and this is a bit of an expansion of what he says, that let each one of you take care how he builds on the church. Building on the foundation of Jesus Christ is serious business. And there's two outcomes that he mentions. It's helpful to hear, hear loud and clearly the point of these verses is again that we're talking about the church of God. We're not talking about the church of Paul or of Betty or of David. Our attitude towards the building of the church of God ought to be the attitude, the basic attitude that was in John the Baptist. Remember when people came to him and said, well, this is going on and that's going on, and John, what are you going to do? And he said, listen, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that is the sort of prevailing attitude that you and I ought to have as we serve in the church. It's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about my glory. It's not about me getting recognition. It's not about my focus or anything. In fact, we should be happy to do anything and never get recognition if God is glorified. And so that's what Paul is getting at here. When we have this division and we focus on people, the tension gets drawn away from God in his church and Jesus Christ and gets put upon us. And so he says that each one of us be careful how he builds. Notice, there's lots of building material that he mentions here. Six sort of things that he says. Ranging in value and quality from gold down to straw. And for me, the point of verse 12, uh, although there's been a lot of speculation about each, what each one of those ones mean, and I don't, I, uh, they could be right, I don't know. But I think what Paul is getting at here is quality and value. That we ought to build and put into the church what is of quality workmanship and what is of value. In other words, the church ought to not get our third best, our fourth get best, our last. It ought not to get the, the, the sort of second-rate quality that the church ought to get the focus of our attention, the best of our strength and ability as we build up the church of God. Neither should we think that Paul is only talking about leaders here. Because you can read in the Bible, and God has given the church leaders. Why? So they can equip the church to do what? Build up the body of Christ. It's not the leader's job to do all the work. It's the body of Christ that builds the body of Christ up. The church is to be equipped by leaders um, to do this. We build the body in terms of one another's. Have you ever thought about, well, how do I build up the body? Well, think about the one another's in Scripture. There's, I don't know, 15 or 16. Pray for one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, exhort one another. Uh, forgive one another. Um, these are ways in which we build up the body of Christ. 
We learn to build up the body of Christ as we embrace the attitude behind the Beatitudes. As we, uh, as we have our own humility, as we care for those who are persecuted, as we strive for peace. We build one another up when we use the unique gift that God has given each one of us. And I, I, I wonder, do you know the gift that God has given you? Do you know what God has called you to do? As you are part of this local assembly, you're not here by accident. God has brought you here for a reason because you have something that nobody else has. You have an ability, you have a gifting, you have a focus that nobody else has. And this body needs you. Do you know what that is? I would say that the quality and the value of our work is in direct correlation with the intent and the motive behind our work. Why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say? Why do we love that person and help that person and not the other person? Are we okay if nobody knows or sees what we do? If we are honest, we often know a little bit more about the motive of our heart than other people, but we don't know entirely the motive of our heart. And so as we work to build the building, it's not about our reputation, as I said. It's not about our name. It's not about getting attention drawn to ourselves. It's about bringing glory to God. It's about magnifying His body. It's about constructing His building with quality and value and precious work. That's how the content of our building, what we do, is determined by the materials that we use. The remarkable thing that Paul is hinting at here is that we will not see the full value or quality of our work until the end. This is really important for us to understand. He's talking about a day that is coming, and we will come back to this in a minute. It's the day of the Lord. But up until that day, there's a lot of evaluating that we do, both of ourselves and about other people. Some of you know that in a previous life, I used to work in construction. I worked to fabricate um, uh, a synthetic marble. I worked for years uh, on Roto-Rooter. Uh, in fact, I almost bought the island franchise for Roto-Rooter from Duncan Up, and I would have been a very rich man if I had done that, but I would have married Christ, uh, my wife. And Anyhow, but one of the things I loved about all of those jobs every single one of them, is at the end of the day, and I almost always did this, as I was leaving a job site, I would turn around and I'd look, and I'd say, wow, we put up all those walls today. As I came to work in the marble factory, and as we uh, broke the molds from the marble, I'd say, wow, look at the work that we accomplished yesterday. As I worked with Roto-Rooter, and we'd clean out a septic tank, and we'd wash it all out, and then I'd jump down, and I'd just make it, and I'd, wow, I could walk around in a clean septic tank. And it was amazing because you had instant realization of the impact of your work. Well, when it comes to the church, it's not the same. And even this job, I often go home at the end of the week and think, what in the world have I done this week? What have I accomplished? In fact, often you look and you say, wow, everything I thought I accomplished has been undone by the evil one or has been undone by somebody else. Often we look at the work of people and we say, wow, they're doing a great job. Look at all that they've done for the church. But those are not the time or the ways to evaluate our work. Because Jesus says very clearly here that there is a day coming. He calls it the day of the Lord when all of our work will be manifest. Where the quality of our work will be revealed where fire will test it and what is left and what is remaining will be that which we will get rewarded for. 
The day of the Lord is a day of judgment, and there is even going to be an assessing of believers. We will not be judged towards condemnation, but we will be evaluated on the work to which we have done in the building up of the body of Christ. We see that here. We see that in other passages in Scripture. And we do it. The reward, I don't know what the reward is. And I read a a, a number of things and I still don't really understand what the reward is. Other than this, I think at the root of the reward is the affirmation of God upon us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's like the parables in in the Gospels where uh, people are given different gifts according to their abilities. And when they come back and they say, Master, you gave me ten and I did this. He says, well done, I'll give you more. And another one comes back and he's got five. And he says, Master, you gave me five and I did this and I got five more. He says, well done. I think in part, a large part, the reward of which you and I anticipate. And what a reward it will be is simply to have our Father say to us, Well done. I gave you this and you accomplished that. Enter into your eternal reward. It's going to be a day when all our work is manifest by fire. It will be disclosed. It will be revealed. Our work will be tested. Each of these phrases remind us that um, there will be a day when what we have done will become obvious. It will be seen for what it is. It will be made plain. It will be revealed. Some of you have pictures in your mind. I did as I was thinking about this, of uh, particularly down in the States, I remember, forest fires that sweep into a particular area, and they consume everything. And obviously there's residences and there's commercial buildings And the fire just destroys everything. And then they have reporters that go back in and they get pictures. And what's left standing? It's a vivid illustration of this. Well, sometimes what's left standing is the the rock fireplace that has been carefully and and well built. Um, Other times it might be the steel frame construction that was uh, behind a building. Sometimes it's a car burnt out, but the metal is still there. You know, people rummage around and they'll find valuables that everything else around them is destroyed, but that valuable is still there. Almost always, though, what is left remaining is the foundation. I don't know how many of you drive up Pym Street, and just the first street up here, there was a brutal fire there, probably about three, four years ago. What's left? Foundation. And for me, this is a physical illustration of a spiritual reality. That just as fire will test the materials and the workmanship of physical buildings that we build, so in a sense, spiritually, the fire of God will test what we have built upon the building, which is God's church. And what has been built with precious metals and what has been valuable will remain. And what has been secondary and um, um, uh, invaluable will be burnt up with smoke. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, if the work anyone built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Understand that? That as you serve God, you can, you can serve in a way in which you do quality work. That you do work which contributes value to the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I think it all comes back to are we continue to build on the foundation of Christ? But then he says, secondly, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Not a great experience. What a loss. As you stand before God on that day and everything goes up in smoke haven't taken our gifts seriously, haven't 
responded in a way that has been helpful to the grace of God given to us. As we stand before God, all that we did with our last bit of time, all that we did with our last bit of resources, the gift that we used, we did fifth, sixth, tenth priority in our life, and we've just not given a whit about the church of God. He says it'll all be burned up. But notice what he says, though, that you will be saved even as through fire. I think this is where we get the phrase, I'm saved by the skin of your teeth. There's a wonderful reality here because uh, I think it's teaching us a couple of things. One, it's teaching us that we are not saved by works. We are saved by grace. And this is a great text to come back to again and again in our life. That in the end of the day, loved ones, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, you are saved. You are secure. The work that God began in you, He will complete. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace in our lives. But it's a sad thing that if we were to stand before God, or when we stand before God, that although we are saved because of the work of Christ, everything else that we have done, of that all, nothing remains. And so, loved ones, it matters how we build and how we participate and how we are part of a local body of believers. And that's, I believe, what Paul is talking about here in this church in Corinth. I was reading this story, and I've read it a number of times, um, about a man who came upon a construction site where three people were working. And he asked the first one there, he says, what are you doing? And the man replied, well, I'm laying bricks. He came to the second one, he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm building a wall. And as he approached the third one, he heard him humming in a tune as he worked, and he asked him, he says, what are you doing? The man stood, and he looked up to the sky, and he says, I'm building a cathedral. And I think that ought to be our view as we work in the church and as we serve together. What are we doing? I don't know my little part, I'm doing this, but I'm building the church of God. Is there any greater privilege that we have on this earth than to be part of building the church of God? And then finally, he comes to verses 16 and 17, and these are a little bit of a different emphasis. Destroying God's temple, not something you want to do. I've thought a lot about these verses, um, particularly in light of Matthew 24, 14 to 19 in relation to what Paul is saying here, and I don't have time to open those up to you, but I, I just encourage you to go look on them if you have time today. The metaphor shifts again now. It's shifted from an agricultural metaphor to a building metaphor now to the temple of God, and this is woven all through Scripture. Peter tells us that we are Um, foundation stones or we are bricks that are being added to the temple of God Paul writes in Ephesians that we are being built together into the temple of God it's a way of sort of describing the reality of of a residence fit for God to dwell in and now Paul is writing about the church the corporate body although he's gonna move in chapter 6 to talk about the fact that we our bodies are also the temple of God now he's talking about the church here in Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church this little church in Oceanside we are the temple of God 
We ought to let that settle into our hearts and our minds that we here are a dwelling place of God and He dwells here in us through His Spirit. And Paul's words to them are a little bit of a rebuke. They're a little bit sharp. He says, don't you know? It's kind of like in all their fighting, in all their division, in all their self-focus, they have forgot what it is they belong to and whose they are. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of God and God's Spirit dwells in you? If you don't know, you should. And if you did and you've forgotten, shame on you. And if you do and you don't give a rip... Well, be careful. Loved ones, you, we, are the church of God. We are the temple of God. God's Spirit dwells in us even today. And what God says, or what Paul says to the church in Corinth, he is saying to us today, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you are part of this local, if we could call it this way, temple of God in which His Spirit dwells dwells in us and that makes then the words of the next verse even more startling and it should be a warning to anyone who wants to cause destruction to the temple of God literally these verses are worded this way it's kind of um, Yoda-ish if you watch Star Wars you know how Yoda speaks but this is a literal translation of verse 17 if anyone God's temple destroys Destroy him, God will. This is serious stuff. Speaking to the religious leaders, Jesus warns, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Or you look at the book of Jude. Jude the whole book of Jude is written to certain people who have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designed for this condemnation, ungodly people, listen to this, who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is it they're doing? They're destroying the foundation. They tear down what is supposed to be built on Christ. It's one thing to build carelessly or not build at all. It's an entirely thing altogether, differently, to set out to destroy the temple of God. Oh, loved ones, I run out of time way too soon. But I want these words to just sink into your heart in a fresh new way today. That every time we gather together in a corporate way, we are gathering together. And as we do, we are God's temple. And His Spirit dwells within us. And as we gather together, do you know then that God is present with us? We don't have to conjure it up. We don't have to sing Him down from the roof. He's present in us by His Spirit. If you need healing, He's here to heal you. If you need help, He's here to help you. If you need hope, He's here to give you hope. If you need salvation, He's here to save you. If you need deliverance, He's here to deliver you. God is present with us today because we are gathered together. And together we are God's temple in which His Spirit dwells. We are holy that is what you are. Let's pray. Spirit of God, 
who dwells in us here today as his temple. Take these words that we have considered. Make them expand in our hearts and minds as water causes peat moss to expand. And may they just blow to all incredible proportions as we once again reflect on this incredible reality that because we are a temple, you dwell in our midst through your spirit. We come now to the table, Lord. Will you remind us again of the centrality of Jesus Christ? For he is the foundation upon which our lives are built. He is the foundation upon which this church is built. What a great reminder. What a great uh, challenge it is us to once again look afresh at this foundation. Which is Jesus Christ and his death. We pray these things in Jesus' name.